What's up, everybody? It's Tuesday. The Super Bowl is over. This is the... Oh, no. It's the Brady Grand Football Show! I mean, I got to tell you that those, um, those lasers were pro-Super pro Bowl lasers. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I don't have much energy left, man. Yeah. I... Uh, you and I both talked about our traveling back through the old ATL airport. Uh, that was quite a doozy. Uh, and uh, it was an early morning, long day. Uh, and look, the, the Super Bowl, it was what it was. I actually didn't mind the game the way it went. Um, I thought the Patriots would win. I thought they'd cover. Uh, I didn't think it would be that low scoring, though. That was the biggest shocker about that whole thing to me. But I do think I've got some reasons why it happened, Will. Oh, uh, great. I would, I would love to hear him. And I, I am, of course, Will Brinson. That is, of course, Brady Quinn. This is the Pick Six podcast. If you're just joining in, um, th- like as we head into the offseason, we'll be doing these every single day. When you say it out, when I say it out loud, like a little part of my soul dies. Not that I don't, I like, I love, <laughs> I love the podcast. I love doing the podcast, but the realization that something has to happen every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, um, from now until football season starts is not, I don't know if it's a little daunting. It's just a little like, Huh. Um, is that, is that fair? Is that unfair of me? Should I be? You do seven days a week or five, you do five, five days? Five days a week. Oh, okay. So, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. At least you get weekends off, you know? I mean, it's, it, it's not like you're grinding that hard. It's just a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is not, it is not that hard. And it leaves me free time to go play horseshoes, um, in, in random downtown bars until 2 a.m. Hypothetically speaking, if that's something that people would do, uh, during Super Bowl week. Um, uh, what, what's that? You're hypothetically what? Playing horseshoes at 2 a.m. in downtown bar. <laughs> Hypothetically, yes. yes. And then almost being killed by a horseshoe. Uh, that is something that also may happen during Super Bowl week. Uh, down in a dungeon of sorts of places. Yeah. Even though it did have a nice bar. So. It, it did, yeah. yeah. I mean, hypothetically, who hadn't, who amongst us hasn't had their wife almost kill them with a horseshoe at 2 a.m. in a downtown bar? Uh, moving along, let's, <laughs> let's talk about the actual game because – uh, we, John Breach and Ryan Wilson and I recorded a podcast literally after the game from my hotel, from my hotel room at 3 a.m. I, I mean, I'm sure you can hear it in our voices. I'm, I was like fighting sleep off as we were, as we were sitting there recording. Um, and I do want to take a more of a deep dive with you, Brady, because the schematics of all this, and I've done some radio hits today, uh, or excuse me, some radio hits yesterday on Monday. Um, so we went back and watched some of the game and I want to finish doing that later. I, what, what do you think? Okay. Here's, why, how did, how was Sean McVay, who admitted after the game that he was out coached, how was he not prepared for what Bill Belichick brought defensively, which was essentially playing zone when the Patriots were mostly a man team, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's that simplified because there were some variations of things that they did more in regards to their pass rush. Um, I, I thought that was really what we thought was the biggest thing going into this was whether or not the Rams offensive line could handle the variation of looks that this Patriots defensive front gives you throughout the course of a game. You know, the three down looks, the four down looks, the five down looks, or, you know, even within those three and four down looks, the way they move around Van Noy, the way they move around Hightower, and the way they stunt and run games after the snap of the football. So they change that picture for the offensive line. It's a lot to deal with. And it's especially a lot to deal with on a field that felt a lot like a New England Patriots home game. So your communication becomes that much more impacted by it. And let's be honest, it's not so much Sean McVay. Like, this offense didn't execute very well. The offensive line got beat one-on-one. There's no doubt about it. 
Jared Goff seemed shook at times. Um, it, it was just not a good game all the way around. Brandon Cooks had a number of opportunities to make plays in the football. Uh, he made some, didn't make the ones that he really needed to. Uh, so at the end of the day, it was a true team loss by the LA Rams, but you got to give credit to the New England Patriots and the game plan because you're right, even though they play a ton of man-to-man, the formations and the condensed splits, those, mo- those usually force teams to play a lot of man-to-play zone anyway. So they've probably seen a decent amount of that this year, regardless of how much you know man a team plays coming into it because of their style of offense. Uh, I think the thing that stood out to me, why the secondary was able to be so successful versus the Rams was this. When you run a bunch of 11 personnel, mm-hmm. and that's primarily what they ran, and that's three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back, it allows a defense with whatever unit it is, whether it's nickel, whether it's dime, they now can settle in and say, this is what this wide receiver runs from this position, from this split, from this bunch or stack formation. Mm. They don't have to worry about teaching those concepts and those schemes to their base defensive personnel, right? Or their big defensive personnel, because all you do is one, one, one personnel grouping. So you can do what's called pattern match. And the new England Patriots were as good as anyone in particular when they faced the, the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf. One of the reasons why I think they were so um, successful in that game was because you weren't taking Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk off the field, right? So even though you had these variations of things you would do, you also had tendencies. And with two weeks to prepare, you better believe the New England Patriots were prepared for every single thing that offense was going to do based on where a guy lined up and what their tendencies were. And, and that's, to me what became fairly obvious because it wasn't like there was a ton of free rushers with the exception of the pressure on the interception by Goff, which was just an awful play on his part. It was typically coverage sacks, like the coverage and the front worked hand in hand and getting pressure on Goff when there really just wasn't anything downfield. Okay, I have a couple of questions here. I'm going to try to remember them. I should have written them down. You mentioned pattern matching. When you say pattern matching, the first name that comes to mind for me and, and probably maybe anybody is Nick Saban. Uh, everybody knows, I think, right? Nick Saban worked for Bill Belichick once upon a time. They're very good friends. This was Were the Patriots doing and, – and look, there's, there's a lot of uh, – Look, football jabronis, myself included, out there talking about man versus zone, and we're, you know, we're not seeing what what Jared Goff is seeing. It's a different story when you're actually playing quarterback in your third year. He did the stats add up. You know, he has 11 interceptions against zone um, this season versus just one interception against man. That's a pretty significant difference. Were they running? Were they kind of running a Nick Saban type of cover three pattern match? What what was going on back there that Jared Goff was seeing? And is it a situation where in the infancy of his career, you know, he's not really capable of reading an entire field uh, with, with the speed required relative to what the, the Patriots were doing? Was that, was that the main issue? Well, the main issue, I'd say, is I, I do feel like the speed of the game seemed too fast for him. Yeah. Like, he was always just a little bit late. Like, their longest game was a completion of Robert Woods in the sidelines. That was honestly incomplete. Yeah. And fortunate for the Rams, they rushed up, got a playoff. Um, and and, it, and so it ended up being complete in the in the books. But when you go back and look at it on tape, uh, it, it should have been incomplete. So the, the officials missed that call to the, to the benefit of the Rams. Um, but pattern matching is this. Pattern matching is like saying, well, if, if Brandon Cooks takes a split, where all of a sudden he's six yards outside uh, the ghost tight end, 
he can only run one of a few things, or he's limited in kind of what he's going to do, right? He's not just going to run straight down the field. We, we can eliminate that. He's yeah. most likely, if he's going to run some sort of deeper route or intermediate route, it's going to be outbreaking because he's at a condensed split. If he wants to run an in route, he has to widen his release on the snap of the football and then get vertical to then come inside. And he's usually not going to be the first read in that case. And then the thing he can do, he can run a shallow crossing route. So you're kind of limited in what you can do based on a condensed split. What it allows you to do, though, is not be in press man-to-man coverage. Because of how close you are to all the other traffic, a lot of defensive backs or cornerbacks in particular will have to play off so they can, they can run through some of the traffic in order to still cover that player. So there's give and take to what you do. So when I say pattern match, I mean they're looking at a lot of their single-man, two-man, and three-man route combinations, and they're saying based on how they're lining up in this bunch, in this stack, or on the, in these condensed splits depending on the formation, this is what these guys are going to run. And, and so that's more what pattern matching is. They played different variations of zone. I, the majority of which I saw were more post-high, uh, mostly because they wanted the extra defender down around the box right. uh, to try to stop the run. So there was a fair amount of that. But, but when I say pattern matching, that's more what I'm meaning, just having a tendency and being able to jump some of the routes or react to some of the routes they're running faster because of the preparation leading up to the game. Right, and, and again, like we talked about it all week long, no one in their right mind, everyone loves Sean McVay. He's great at, he's great at, uh, he's a great young offensive mind, you know, great smart offensive coach. He got a lot of people hired. No one is going to try and tell you that he has uh, a, a schematic advantage with two weeks of preparation over Bill Belichick. And that became uh, pretty clear. I, it did, did matter. I, I, on the McVay thing though, why, how did McVay, why did McVay realize this? I thought that they, I thought that they might change up their personnel, maybe go with two tight ends more often, maybe, um, you know, try and run they out of did. those. They, they, yeah. they actually did. When you looked at it in the second half, when they started to move the football and have a little bit more success, I mean, heck, in the first half, not only were they goose egg, they were outgained yeah, sorry, by to, Julian Edelman but, in receiving yards. But to, I mean, I guess I meant, I was surprised that Sean McVay came into the game saying, we are going to try and do exactly what we have always done because he was up against Bill Belichick. Like I would, I thought he was going to throw a curveball out early or, or maybe come a little bit aggressive and go in a different direction and then settle back into the 11 personnel stuff. I, I get that he worked at, did, you know, did the two tight end stuff at the second half, but I, like it was a little surprising that he just said, we're going to be us in the first half, right? Well, you got to be you. That's what you got you there. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't all of a sudden start changing up. Your game plan. I mean, let's be honest. They don't have 21 personnel. Right. Something that New England runs a, runs a lot with, with James Devlin. They really don't have the ability then to go in 22 personnel. They're two tight ends, two running backs, one wide receiver, right? Yeah. So they're limited in what they can do based on their roster and based on what they have. So you're not going to go into the game and say, hey, it's Bill Belichick. <laughs> we got to – is there a fullback out there we can add on the team <laughs> or, or we've got to change up what we're going to do? Um, I, I think they're going to try to run what they think is going to be effective versus the New England Patriots. And to be quite honest, in the beginning of the game, you're just trying to figure out what the New England Patriots are going to do and, and, then, and how you can settle in and make those adjustments. So that's the difficulty for any team going against New England is, you know, they've got their 10 to 15 plays that are starters, and they're running them, and they're saying, okay, this is how they're playing this personnel grouping in this formation. This is how they play this formation. This is, this is what they do when we motion, and this is what, we, what they do when we shift. And the difficulty is the next time you come back out, you think you're going to get that, that same coverage, that same front. And it's different. Or it might be a different personnel group that they put in on defense. Last time they played nickel, this time they're playing dime. So all those things, you know, are, are just Bill Belichick's genius of staying ahead. And we used to call that when we play, 
he, he's a Rolodex uh, coordinator, meaning you're not going to get the same thing again. He's going to keep rotating through every single time to give you different looks. So in third and, and sixth plus, and really that was one of the biggest differences in the game. I think at one point Jared Goff was like 0 for 7 or 0 for 8 uh, on third down with a sack. And they just couldn't – they could not stay on the field. They couldn't move the sticks. And a lot of it had to do with the variations and coverage that they were showing them all the time, um, whether it was three with a strong safety rotating down, three weak with a weak safety rotating down, uh, a version of quarters, a version – I mean, they played a little bit literally about everything that you could. They played doubled cover, coverage at time, which some people call cover seven, when they looked to double a couple different guys. Um, and so it, it kind of, to some guys, looks like man, but in other ways they're thinking, all right, is the man or is it more of a match zone? Um, they do as good of a job of anyone at disguising the way in which they're playing coverage uh, and then and putting more pressure on the quarterback. So um, it wasn't that so much that Sean McVay was necessarily fooled. I just think it was Bill Belichick always being one step ahead. And, again, it helps when your guys win the battle at the line of scrimmage. Yep. I mean, go across the entire Rams offensive line. They did not play well. Uh, but when they, when they did go 12 personnel, they did start to have more success in the second half. Another thing I saw was – in 11 personnel, they put Everett in more at tight end instead of Higby, and they started to have a little bit more success, too, with that matchup, Everett with a little more speed than Higby uh, playing the tight end position. Mm. Now, did you end up – we can't. We don't need to get into why you were watching it. Did you end up watching – where did you end up watching the game? Because I, I offered my <laughs> seat to you. you. You saw my seat where I was sitting, and you said, no thanks. And then you pointed at somebody in the press box and said, hey, Tommy – Give me a, a sweet, and then you just disappeared into some place with like grapes and cheese, right? Right. I, I was like, "Hey, Tommy <laughs> boy, get over here." Uh, no, so obviously uh, there's some benefits to having multiple employers, and one thing I really, really appreciate about SiriusXM is just how organized they are, oh, and yeah. uh, how my guys like Steve Cohen and Nick Pavlados have all their stuff together. So uh, I knew if. What I thought was going to happen at the Super Bowl was indeed going to happen. That I could talk to my guys at SiriusXM NFL Radio and they could help me out. So Bob Papa, who's a good friend, he does a tremendous job on play-by-play. Uh, him and Charles Davis, who's as smooth of a listen as you'll get, um, they're doing the world broadcast. So I got to kind of sit in their booth and and basically not only listen to their call, uh, but also watch the game from, from their, uh, from their booth. That's a good spot to be in. And I would assume that that's a pretty good view and you can kind of see the defenses unfolding and all that. Of course, you're a former quarterback. So that, that probably helps too. And a knowledgeable NFL. Yeah. Okay, you know, you come, you know, call a lot of games, see a lot of football. Have you watched the game again since the, since the, since the- I haven't had a chance to watch it again. Uh, it was obviously busy traveling. No, back no, no. And, and- the valley at our. I, I, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't think you would have had time. I was, just, I just didn't know if it was like a, you got up and like did a hundred push-ups and then, you know, watched the, watched the, watch the football game again or something like that. No, no. Like me. We were, That's uh, what I did. It was like, it was like, dude, where's my car? Right. So right. I, I was literally wandering Atlanta this morning at 5 a.m. because the valley somehow moved or misplaced my rental car. Uh, so I was dealing with that for a good portion of the morning. And then just trying to figure out if I can make it uh, to my flight on time, which didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard. The security at Atlanta was uh, maybe the longest line people have ever seen. So that's that basically added up to my whole entire day. I, I missed radio. I missed everything. So the whole entire day kind of got thrown off. You did miss I, the... I did intend on watching it today, though. No, no, no. I, I, I wasn't criticizing you for not watching it, just so we're clear. But you did end up 
recording a podcast, even though you did all that travel. That's that's true dedication to this Pick Six podcast. That's true. Um, that's true. <laughs> crap, I had a question I was going to ask you, but instead we're going to take a very quick break. Hey, everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so we mentioned the Rams, personnel, and all that stuff. Uh, does the does the, does the the outcome of this game ding your perception at all of uh, Sean McVay or Jared Goff? Of Jared Goff, yeah. Because wow. the common denominator of, over the course of his time with the Rams is when he's had good protection, he's been good. When he hasn't, he's been really bad. And that's the only thing you can really say um, when you go back and kind of look through the course of his career. His rookie year didn't have protection at all. It was bad. The, the times in which he struggled last year, same thing. I mean, look, he's got a lot of things at his disposal. He's got a good offensive line. He's got Todd Gurley in the backfield, which that's a whole other conversation. And he's got a, a bright offensive mind um, and, and a bunch of different guys to throw to. So it, you can't fall into a better situation as a quarterback. And for him not to be able to just make more plays, it's a bit surprising. Like, I know it sounds critical, but look, the Rams are in a position where they, he's going into his fourth year next year. And they've got to decide if they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. Yep. And, like, this, this one could – this one could drag out a little bit. People might say I'm nuts in saying that. I just think enough people around the league look at Sean McVay and they look at that roster, they look at that team, and they're like, ah, maybe a lot of other guys could put up those sorts of numbers and do that sort of thing if they were in his position too. Well, and let's not forget that the Rams predicated this whole all-in situation with 2018 
by having a rookie quarter, or by having a quarterback on his rookie, his rookie deal, Jared Goff was a first overall pick, so it is, a, it's a still an expensive deal, but relative to, you know, a, a massive second contract, it's not insane. And they were able to, you know, sign Brandon Cook, sign Todd Gurley, sign Aaron Donald, trade for, uh, Keep to Lead, trade for Marcus Peters, trade for Cooks, who they later signed. They did all these things. I don't, I don't know you can necessarily, I don't know that you necessarily have the freedom with as big a contract, even though the salary cap is high. Is there any chance that they would consider trading Jared Goff and drafting a different quarterback? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that would be a big one to me. Uh, I don't know if you want to go that route. You've invested a lot of time in Jim. So I, I think you might want to give it an, another year, you know, before um, you look at how you're going to you handle everything. Um, I mean, look, I think they'll pick up his fifth-year option. I think it's too big of a risk not to uh, just say, yeah, we're going to push and try to let him go into free agency. Uh, you know, because or, or, what happens if they do find themselves in the Super Bowl next year and then they win it and he plays great, right? right? right. Now you look like a clown show. So uh, <laughs> they're going to pick up the option. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's a big year for him. I think ultimately in regards to what the Rams could potentially offer him uh, as far as a long-term contract, looking at that second deal uh, based on how he played in this game. So, yeah, I, I think I came away with the impression of this. From all the assistants that came from New England that I played for as a player, they did as good a job at simplifying what a guy's good at and what he's not at. And I can guarantee you from watching Jared Goff and film, and I, I said this on the set, if you get pressure on him, he's a different quarterback. He's a different player. You can make that case for a lot of guys. Sure. But there, certain players' play doesn't diminish quite as much as Jared Goff does. And, and that's, that's what I saw in film. Pete and I talked about it during the week a lot. Uh, that, look, Jared Goff's floor is a lot lower than Tom Brady's is going to be in that game. And I would say Tom Brady's floor is a lot closer to Jared Goff's ceiling. Um, mm. and, and so because of that, you know, you just didn't know what you're going to get. And, and I think early on, he seemed a bit shook. He, he, you know, and that's expected, but he just can never really get any composure throughout the course of the game. And that's ultimately what hurt him. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they got a ton of pressure on him. You saw it from the get-go. And for whatever reason, the, the, the referees were not inclined to sling around flags. I know there's some questionable, you know, um, uh, Nicole Roby Coleman had that like two-week-old makeup call that, that was, that was thrown on him. Um, and the Rams ultimately ended up with nine penalties for 65 yards. Patriots only three for 20. But it didn't feel like with either quarterback that the refs were interested in protecting those quarterbacks that, that if you wanted to get a, if you wanted to push the line on, on getting, on getting a shot on Tom Brady or Jared Goff, you could do it. And both guys really got banged up pretty bad. And I think Brady, for as much as there is a huge age difference, you know, he's dealt with this so much more and, and on this stage so much more that it, it was probably easier to overcome. But let's be honest, Tom Brady wasn't good either. No, um, I would say this is probably one of his more underwhelming performances. Um, there was times, where he, where he seemed frazzled. Uh, I mean, look, the, the first interception was shocking to me. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, not only was he late getting his body over to address that throw if you wanted to make it, um, but it was just a poor ball. You know, he's as good as anyone at putting a football in a spot where his wide receiver gets it or no one does. And that was an instance where I was like, first off, it's Chris Hogan. I mean, and again, no disrespect to Chris Hogan, but, you know, that's not a guy I'm trying to force a ball into. Gronk, Edelman, I get it. Anyone else doesn't make as much sense. So um, that was surprising. And then just, you know, really a couple of the throws he made where he was kind of pulling them into the ground, throwing them low. I mean, I, I guess better be safe than, than sorry. But there was one screen in particular to James White, 
and there was pressure from the Rams. They had a scene, and he just yanked it at his feet. And there's really no other explanation. I mean, I got the sense that maybe he felt like they sniffed it out, but I think if he gets that ball to White, that could have been a huge play. And really, that series in particular I'm talking about, they stopped the clock on a number of those incompletions and gave the Rams the ball back and could have eaten up the clock back when they they had that lead. So uh, it, it wasn't his best game. However, it didn't need to be because of how good the defense played. And let's be honest, the final drive, the way Josh McDaniel settled in, they, they basically sat in 21 personnel. They ran the football until they got in plus territory. And then they basically spread them out and went empty. And what that does is, much like I talked about the Rams being predictable with their 11 personnel and allowing the, the New England Patriots defense to pattern match, the, the New England Patriots being in 21 personnel and putting Devlin all the way on the outside, that gave them a man zone indicator. So if it's man, you're looking at which guy do I think is going to win at that matchup. If it's zone, now you're really looking at the inside. And you're saying, where's Edelman? Where's Gronk? Who are they matched up against on the inside since you've got your cornerbacks on the outside and your safeties uh, and, and linebackers on the inside? And you saw a completion to Edelman who got yards after the catch for a big gain. You then saw a completion to Burkhead. And these are all basically the same concepts, all out of their empty formation. And then finally the big completion to Gronk. Again, same play. Uh, they just changed the formation a little bit. Uh, but it was it was pretty phenomenal to look at the job that, again, the Patriots did making adjustments, and then Tom Brady just making clutch throws in that drive to go go put them in a position to score a touchdown. Yeah, really. I Actually, as you were saying that, I just happened to see a next-gen stats uh, tweet pop up on my timeline, and it's like, how did the Patriots' offense break tendency on their TD drive? They used two running backs on all five plays, shifting into empty and running the same play three consecutive times. And Tom Brady on those uh, on those plays against the Rams' base defense, four of four for sixty-seven yards. That to me, maybe like that as well as you know what Belichick was doing and that the, the way the defensive line got pressure. It, it just the the Patriots a bit. The, the Patriots knew they're in this grind, like in this meat grinder game, and they understood, all right, like, the, our defense can stop these guys, and we just need to get, it, it just reminds me of 2000, the 2001 season and the 2002 Super Bowl so much. It's like, hey, look, we gotta just, just keep going punch for punch with these guys on defense, and then we're gonna hand the ball to Tom, and let Josh cook something up. Obviously, Josh went there in 2001 as the OC, but you know, let, let Tom lead a big drive for a touchdown. It, it was just quintessential Patriots like that, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I had Charlie Weiss when when he was there, yeah. and you know, it's funny. The league is going in more of a three wide receiver set spread formation, right? So, what do the New England Patriots do? Uh, when everyone's going one way, they go to the yeah. other, yeah. and so they play more twelve, they play more twenty one, more base personnel, they play more twenty two personnel uh, with those two tight ends, two running back sets. So they seem to do things differently than everyone else is doing them. And I think it's tough for defenses to stop because they very rarely see that mm-hmm. um, from their opponents, and then they very rarely see it from their own team. I mean, think about in practice in the offseason where you're going up against your ones. If you're Sean McVay, you're mostly running 11 personnel, you know, your defense isn't going to be as prepared for when they see two tight ends, two running backs, right? And you're playing smash-mouth football. Same thing in their base personnel. Or when they split out, you know, with, with your base personnel. If you don't have a fullback, right, your linebackers and safeties aren't prepared for the ISO blocks, the, the back-on-backer blocks, or the Bob plays like we talk about. Um, so there's all those additional things that you obviously don't get a lot of practice at. And you don't see a whole lot. Either A, if your opponents don't do it since the league's not moving that, in that direction, or B, you don't have it on your roster. 
So there's no way to mimic that or get a true sense of how it's actually going to work out. Um, I think those are things that always kind of go uh, unnoticed sometimes, these matchups. Yeah, it's sort of like when um... – you know, uh, like if a team has to play Georgia Tech or, or, you know, when they had Paul Johnson running the option or like, or, or Army, Navy, whoever it is on, you know, on, you don't have a buy before you haven't seen, you haven't played an option team yet that year. I mean, it, it's just hard to prepare for something you don't see very often. And, and, uh, that was certainly the case. Do you think, do you think the Patriots should pay Rob Gronkowski what he is owed on the final year of his contract or should they save $8 million and cut him loose? Or, or it's also possible. I would not, it's also possible we could retire. I would not cut him. Ooh. I would not cut him. I mean, look, he might retire anyway. Um, that's something he talked about and discussed. And the bottom line is, you know, two weeks from now, his body is going to feel better than it does now. Sure. Right. He was limping around a little bit after the game. You know, Pete and I saw him on the field. He, it looked like he had a thigh contusion uh, from a hit he took early in the game. But up until that point, he was moving around well. So, I mean, typically you take a few days to decompress. All of a sudden, your body starts feeling better. You know, even a month from now, you start being like, "Man, I kind of miss my buddies. I miss, I miss football. I, I want that feeling again." Because I can tell you this much: I never played in the Super Bowl, but being able to be down there in the field to sit back, take it all in, knowing some of those guys—you know, talking to a guy like Kevin Euclid, for example, yeah. uh, who won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox, who was down there with Tom Brady's family—and just you know, sitting back and talking to to him about his championship. Uh, or championships and then, and, and talking to, um, you know, other players down there and, and coaches on their staff about it. I mean, it, it's something that it drives you to want to do it all over again. Now it's a grind and especially in new England, but at the end of the day, man, uh, once, once he starts feeling better, I, I think he's going to come back for an additional year. Cause it, I don't know why you'd want to try to miss out on an opportunity to be with Tom Brady and try to do this again, as long as he's still playing. Yeah, and look, the the reality is the Patriots are going to have a chance to do it because uh, while the, Josh Allen might be great, Sam Darnold might be great, I don't think we're there yet with either of the Bills or the Jets. Uh, the Dolphins look like they are in full-blown rebuild mode, and you know they just took a guy that Bill Belichick has uh, intimate knowledge of, and Brian Flores, great defensive game plan by him too. You know, calling this whatever you know, whatever whether he's calling the plays or helping design it with Bill Belichick, whatever it is, he did a great job, um, and. Uh, I mean, you got you got a shot for seven, right? To top to, to top Michael Jordan. Like, that's how far Tom Brady has gone. <laughs> he's he's no longer worried about being the greatest football player of all time. He's now worried about trying to top, you know, to become the greatest athlete of all time. And I think he's got a viable case given the sport and all the things that are around him. And you see that video that he and Gronk post on Instagram, and I know it's you know right after the game and they're they're winning and they're happy and all that. But it's not hard to imagine Gronk being back next year and Brady saying, "Look, dude." Let's go for a ride. let's go for one more ride and say, hey, Bill, I know it's I know you can save something on the salary cap, but we'll just put put this guy in the garage until the playoffs and then cut him loose and we we win three games with Gronk and we win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's not it's not that complicated, right? No, it's not. But I, I think the thing about Bill Belichick is he's never made exceptions for players on his roster, right. and that was probably the scuttlebutt that those two got into in the past, where he doesn't want to treat Tom Brady different than any other any other guy on the team. In fact. He probably wants to be as hard on him as anyone else. Sure. And because and, if you if you can do that to the quarterback, if you can do that to Tom Brady, then you better believe everyone else is going to fall in line. So uh, when you start making uh, exceptions for guys like Gronk, guys like Tom Brady, it, it changes how guys respond in the locker room because everyone looks at each other as equals. I mean, especially um, you know, again, even though it is Tom Brady when he's going out there every day in practice, when he's going out there and, and, you know, doing everything he can and working his tail off, 
everyone else is motivated by it, right? I mean, it's inspirational this, at this point because what else does he have to prove? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, he's already what he's accomplished is already better than what uh, Michael Jordan did, in my opinion. I mean, you can talk about the six titles, but it's also about the fact that he's made it to however many Super Bowls. And he's done it over a period of time in which it's hard to be able to talk about who could even come close to that. So, uh, again, for me, different story. This is – he is the greatest of all time. He has nothing else to prove. Uh, but it, it would just be another feather in his cap where there really wouldn't be any argument. Like, much like I said this past Super Bowl, for all those people who would say, well, he's arguably the greatest of all time. No, 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 no. There is no argument now. It's just <laughs> Tom Brady, the greatest of all time to go. There is there, The people who wanted to try to make that argument – they're saying uncle. They don't want it anymore. Like they're hoping he doesn't go to another Super Bowl and win seven. Like that's the point we're getting to. Is it's it's just painful for them to watch. Yeah, like uh, Joe Montana is incredible. Even Joe Montana should be willing to admit now that Tom. I mean, like Tom Brady was already the goat anyway. But I mean, like now it's like it's, it's not even close. Um, also, now this is a little bit more debatable, or maybe less debatable, depending on how you how you feel about it. Is Julian Edelman? A potential Hall of Famer. I think, did we, t- I don't know if we talked about this before the Super Bowl. I know we probably talked about it leading up to the Super Bowl. I am of the opinion that it would be insane to put someone in the Hall of Fame based solely on postseason st- success and statistics. Julian Edelman's really impressive with what he's done in the postseason, but his regular season numbers are certainly not Hall of Fame. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, well, the weird thing is we're having this conversation. It's like, is he done? Like, I didn't think yeah. he was talking about retiring. So that's kind of like the True. weird thing. Um, and, and I think another guy you might want to throw into that category that just got into the Hall of Fame was Ty Law. I mean, look, mm. Ty Law played for a long time. But if you if you just looked at his stats and you said, all right, he was a two-time All-Pro, uh, no, no three-time Super Bowl champ. Uh, I think it was the MVP, two in one of those Super Bowls, if I'm not mistaken. Um you know, and I mean, he's probably not going to make it in as a two-time All-Pro. I know he's a five-time Pro Bowler, but uh, I just that—that's kind of how I feel. Like, and again, no disrespect to Ty Law. It's just the bottom line is when you look at um, you know his career, he had a couple really, really good seasons where he had just a ridiculous amount of interceptions, like early in his career and then kind of late. But outside of that, there were just kind of more average years. Um, so he was a guy to me that. When I saw that he got in, I was like, okay, uh, kind of, kind of interesting. But I do think his postseason success had a lot to do with people being like, well, you know what though? He played really, really clutch in the postseason to help, you know, that team win some Super Bowls, like legitimately played an impact. I mean, Julian Edelman's starting to build a case for that. And I think yeah. the more he continues to play and, and then adds on to his stats and adds on to his career, uh, I, I think he's definitely going to have a case. So he would need, uh, let's see, I think he averages like seven catches per postseason game. And he would need like six, he would, six more games in the playoffs. So if he can get two more years out of Tom Brady two, and two more Super Bowl runs or even three years and you know, maybe two conference championship runs, which is not implausible, I don't think, uh, he could break Jerry Rice's record for receptions in the playoffs. And that would, uh, yeah. that would, that would go a pretty long way towards, uh, like, I, I feel like if that happened, people might not be willing to keep him out, right? Yeah, I think it'd be tough. Um, but again, you're talking about that's what, two or three more seasons, depending on how many games. Yeah. Um, let's say two if we're saying the Patriots and they're going to Super Bowls. So right. uh, that's very likely. So let's say they go to two more and that is the case. I mean, 
not only is it, you know, those receptions you're talking about, but it's also looking at their success. Like, does he have another Super Bowl? Maybe he wins another MVP. I mean, I just think you continue to keep building on more and more a case. Um, and, and so numbers are one thing, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that doesn't demand more respect from defenses and, and, and defensive backs than Julian Edelman, you know, and, and just with the way he plays, the position that they put him in. Yeah, and, I mean, what, the, what he did in the Super Bowl was – Pretty friggin' incredible in terms of route running and, and moving all over the place and, and just, I mean, like, he, Wade Phillips put a keep to leave on him and that was a horrible mismatch. Uh, at one point, you know, they had a linebacker on Edelman. That's not going to work out, even if it's a fast linebacker like Corey Littleton. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just a, he's a great receiver. Uh, who do you think, who would be, if you had to pick somebody right now to win the Super Bowl, or what do you think about Kansas City being the favorite to win the Super Bowl, uh, next season? What an overreaction to the way that game went. You know, it, it, it's interesting how that all worked out because um, it, I just I look at I look at the way that went and I think to myself, this is a great defensive game. You know, both offenses had their moments, but they really struggled, and that's okay. And, and I think everyone's looking at the Chiefs saying that's an offense that didn't struggle this year, really in any game. And if they win the coin toss, toss, they're probably representing the AFC, not the New England Patriots, but. They didn't win the coin toss. It was New England and the rest is history. Um, I, I think that's probably the general consensus of that team. And I also think people are looking at Steve Spagnuolo coming in and, and then being able to you know make some adjustments on defense and saying that they think that they, they'll be able to find a way to win. I, I just I think the difference is they might not have home field advantage, right? Like if, if I was betting on a division to be better next year, the AFC East or the AFC West, I think the AFC West is probably going to be more competitive. So. Uh, for that reason, I, I kind of feel like it's hard to pick against the New England Patriots only because of their history and the track record, unless something drastically changes. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I mean, the Patriots are really good. Somebody will rise up and, and make it, make a stink there. Maybe it'll be the Saints or the, the Chiefs. I mean, there's still lots of plenty of teams, plenty of teams out there who can, uh, who will, who will have problems. If I were, if I were betting on it, I was looking at, it. I mean, I think the Colts, have some pretty good odds. I don't know that the Colts are going to magically win the, the Super Bowl all of a sudden, but I think they can make improvements this offseason. And so, um, you know, like I'm looking for somebody like 20 to 1. I don't want to be sub 10 to 1 if I'm making those, uh, those bets. Anything surprise you about this season when, uh, when, when you, when you look back on what happened I, in 2018? I just, I think it was, you know, looking back now, hilarious the way the hype around the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden and, <laughs> Just the, that whole deal, and then the way it went. I mean, people thinking that like John Gruden was going to take them back to the promised land, and and just the trading away Cleo Mack and trading away Amari Cooper. I mean, I just the, the whole thing blew my mind. Uh, how he handled it, how the team was run, firing Reggie McKenzie. Now they're going to. It looks like they're going to be playing in the San Francisco 49ers Stadium. Uh, excuse me, Giant Stadium in, in 2019 before they head to Vegas. I uh, I just I don't know. That, that, that's an organization that I, I'm excited for them to get to Las Vegas so they can get settled down and settled in and actually be a good football team because they weren't this year, but it also seemed like that was by design. Mm, yeah, we'll see if they're good next year. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. Um, I, that didn't surprise me because I had the Raiders uh, being terrible. I'm trying to think is there somebody that really shocked me about this year. I don't, I don't know that, I don't, I, I had a pretty good read on, like, and this isn't always, I mean, this is just a random year where I actually had a good read on it, so nothing really stunned me about this season. Um, I'm trying to think if there's somebody I just completely whiffed on. I, I don't, I can't, 
I don't think I whiffed on anybody. Maybe I said a perfect season. Well, maybe. I, I didn't necessarily whiff on anyone. I was shocked by the Minnesota Vikings uh, yeah, not making good. the playoffs. Yeah, the Packers stinking. Packers and Vikings. Yeah, I had that. I had that division wrong, and then actually, I, I completely whiffed on the Cowboys. I, did, I had the Cowboys way wrong, so I, I that that surprised me that the Cowboys were good. Although now they're not going to give Jason yeah. Garrett an extension. What's up with that? You know, I, I he'd done this before though, and, and he coached for his job. He went twelve and four that year, so I, I'm not I'm not necessarily against it. I mean, bottom line is, I think Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones have a close enough relationship where you know he ain't trying to go anywhere. I mean, honestly, like. Like, where are, you, where are you trying to take that? You're going to try to go be head coach somewhere else yeah. than the most expensive franchise in the NFL? Um, I think Jerry has all the leverage there in that case. He knows it. Um, and he wants Jason Garrett to, to understand the message. Like, it's put up or shut up time. Either you get us into the playoffs and, and get us, you know, get us going a little bit more than just one win. Um, and, and Or otherwise, you know, it's time to move on. So uh, it's going to be a big year for them. And I'll be curious to see what additions or subtractions they make. But, you know, the, the whole thing with him not getting an extension isn't surprising. No, I mean, it, it is weird how it was all, it was like the buzz was like, Jared, Garrett's going to get an extension. He's going to get paid. Jerry loves him. They won the division. And then all of a sudden you lose that playoff game to the Rams. And it's like, eh, maybe we'll just see how this, this, uh, this whole contract plays out. Um, were you, are you excited about your debut? Are you broadcasting the AAFL or the AFL? No, what, 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 what? someone else asked me. I'm like, why did people think I would be broadcasting the AAFL? Because you, you know, see, it's on CBS Sports. You work for CBS Sports. Maybe they thought you, you know, you're. I work for their digital platform. I, I call games. I have uh, Fox has exclusive rights to me uh, as far as tele- televised games. In why, that did, so why, didn't, not, why didn't? Why didn't? Yeah, we, why didn't? Not able why, to. Why didn't we buy you out? Why didn't we buy your? We should we could purchase your uh, your soul and use it. It's stuffed into the AFL. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, so I, I'm not. I, I really don't know what to say to that. Well, so, uh, well, I'll tell you. I, I'll you know, tell you. I'll I'll say something. We should buy. We should buy every bit of Brady Quinn stock. Pay whatever it costs. That's what I say. And then you, in turn, <laughs> say, "Give Will Brinson a giant raise." That's what you say. Um, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I think with the way you were able to. Somehow, somehow, some way, get us some seats in the press box, which seemed bleak in the final hour. Uh, you deserve a lot of credit for that, my friend. Thank you. Not Thank you. enough. Yeah, not enough that people can appreciate what you did. Um, it was kind of like Fire Festival. I think the Netflix documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I'll, I'll leave it at that. There was a lot of sacrifices being made. I had to get that. I hey, that water was getting across the border, pal. I don't know how, but it was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got done. We got done covering the Super Bowl. We get down to uh, the Moxie, which is our, our hotel bar, and Prisco's down there, and Jamie Eisenberg looks at uh, our colleague Jamie looks at uh, Eric K, our boss. He's like. Yeah, Brinson, Brinson picked, you know, saved it. And Pete's like, did he really? Prisco's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, who, I mean, I could have done that. It's not that big a deal. It's like, all right, there, there you go, Pete. There you go. You, uh, you, oh, no, no. There is no doubt in my mind Pete Prisco would have done exactly, exactly, probably more than what you did in order to make it happen. Yeah. Right. right no doubt. Right, right, right. Pete would have managed to text with 17, text and phone call with 17 different people at once, coordinate with the RFID, uh, NFL people, coordinate with NFL PR, coordinate with CBS PR, and do all of that in the span of two hours in order to secure us, uh, press box credentials. I, I'm sure that, that seems like something Pete would totally do. I will give Pete credit though. 
He did a, he was, he, I mean, he probably was at, talked for at least like three or four hours all week long on HQ, right? I mean, he did, uh, we did, we did pretty good work <laughs> in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Well, that, that's kind of his thing though. He just doesn't stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe they're making me get up there and talk. It's like, you, you just talk. That's what you do. Um, all right. We'll get out of here. We'll get out of here on this. What do you, what did you think about the, uh, official hirings? We knew they were more than like, we knew they were happening. Um, but we, you know, we had to worry about the Josh McDaniel style situation. What do you think about Zach Taylor to the Bengals? They announced it on Monday after the Super Bowl when the Rams lost and Brian Flores to the Dolphins announced that the Patriots won. First time head coaches for both sides. I always preach patience. Um, I'm excited to see what Brian Flores is going to bring to Miami. But here's the thing that I know. I think Chris Greer uh, is within the front office now. He's really the, the head guy. He wants to create that New England model in Miami. Hmm. Really hard to do. Yeah. Okay? Like, really hard to do. For starters, you don't have Tom Brady. Already report they're going to cut Ryan Tannehill. So, good luck finding the next Tom Brady. <laughs> the next thing is, is it's hard to mimic their culture uh, because <laughs> – you you have guys like Chris Greer who, you know, one, maybe they're as good as Bill Belichick at identifying talent, maybe not. Either way, uh, you end up finding yourself in positions where you just you make bad personnel decisions. Either you don't value certain things like characteristic and understand how you can put certain guys in position to make plays, uh, or you know you, you pay a guy and you know and you don't realize how it's going to change a guy. So there's a lot of different reasons why no one can mimic what Bill Belichick has been able to do. Those are just a couple. Uh, but I think that's what they're looking to do with Brian Flores. And, and they're looking to improve their defense in order to help out, uh, just, you know, well, whatever kind of offense that they have. Yeah. And I would, I would add too that I think that this sort of goes under the radar a little bit because of their consistency and because of the quarterback and, um, and because of the coach. Robert Kraft is a really good owner and the Krafts do a really good job of staying out of the way and letting the football guys do football things and giving them unlimited oh, yeah. resources. And look, it's easy to do when you, when you're on this role and you have Belichick and Brady. Um, but you know, I mean, like Kraft, I mean, ownership matters in, in professional football in, in a big way. It's huge. Like that's the first thing I noticed when I got traded from Cleveland to Denver. It's no disrespect to Cleveland, hmm. but Pat Bowen was a fantastic owner. The expectation of that organization given its rich history, uh, you could sense all the way down to the equipment guys or the trainer Greek who's been there forever. Um, it's like every single person there, you could just sense that sort of excellence, everything that they, they stood for, and, and it comes top down. And I, it was the same way when I got to Seattle. Um, it was, it was kind of, you know, it, it was hit and miss with how things were in St. Louis because you could feel like Stan, Stan Kroenke, you knew he was eventually going to try to move on. New York was a whole different story with the Jets. Um, and then Kansas City was kind of interesting. I mean, that was kind of a team. Uh, and really the ownership structure at that point was different than what it is now. I think they they had some things sorted out with some of the family matters they had going on. But um, you can tell. That's one of the biggest things. We're going from organization to organization. You can tell, and it really matters. So Stephen Ross just needs to stay out of the, out of the kitchen, yeah. let those guys handle their business. And then Zach Taylor going to a place where, look, they need an innovative offense. They need to get the most they can out of the talented players that they have. Hopefully he can bring some of that um, from L.A. to the Cincinnati Bengals. And then the one thing I think they've got to their advantage is, you know, they can, again, preaching patience because they were patient with Marvin Lewis. Um, and, and this is an organization that I don't think, you know, wants to move on to another guy anytime soon and pay out additional years of, of, of contracts and money. So uh, he's got that working for him. But that's a really big uphill battle, in my opinion, because I think that division 
is really good out around the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Yeah, it's a tough spot. Like you, you always had those two games against the Browns, and now those two games against the Browns are are a bit of a nightmare. But at least you don't have Baker Mayfield gunning for Hugh Jackson. Um, and at least the, the Browns, the Bengals didn't hire Hugh Jackson. I give him an A plus, 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 plus for hiring anybody other than him. Uh, I give you an A plus, 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 plus for your work at the Super Bowl, Brady. Not to be, you broke a record, broke a Guinness. You now hold a Guinness Book of World Record. I didn't break the record. It's Jarvis Landry's record. I was just there. Along for the ride, helping him, uh, helping him achieve it. That's so. how you become the greatest football player in Notre Dame history is with that humility. You don't, don't, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. It's not, I do not. I don't get a plaque. My name's not on anything. It's purely about the one hand that catches. So, well, in, in fine. In better news, at least you didn't. At least you and your wife didn't lose in horseshoes to. Two NFL blockers. That didn't happen. So you're fine. That that never happened. That, that <laughs> at least you and your you and you your. Consi- you even consider yourself a writer. You consider yourself a blogger. No, is that, no. Is that, how, is that what we're stooping to right now? No, I'm a secret. Hey, I carry I carry my own weight. Okay, I think you witnessed that. Yeah. There was uh, another member of my team that, unfortunately, <laughs> I, we were losing a fair amount. To. I won't name names, but my wife did almost kill me. So. <laughs> it was a fun time, um, and thank you for letting us um, hang hang with your family. It was it was uh, it was good times. And what a, it's been a fun season. It's been an awesome podcast season. And yeah. we're, we're not done. Yeah. We'll, we'll go through the off season. No, we're keep it rolling. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll keep it rolling. And uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. So make sure to subscribe, rate, review. Thanks, Brady. Anytime.